I'd like to uh, start by thanking Matthew Dansky over there on Zoom. Just, uh, this job has become a lot easier <laughs> uh, since he's he's put many, many, many hours into um, upgrading the system and making it real seamless and beautiful, useful, autonomous in many ways. <clears throat> um, when we were talking about, he's a software engineer, is that the right? The software engineer, we were talking about him taking taking it on and <clears throat> moving the the system forward, which Alistair had built from scratch. It was incredible, you know, for COVID and beyond. Um, and then we needed to move it forward a little bit. And uh, uh, Dansky said, well, I don't want to own it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe I could be a bridge. Yeah. So that... Um, you know, that way of making an offer uh, a few months ago now, maybe it was years, <laughs> I think it was just a few months, actually, you've made huge strides in a short period. Calendar year ago. A calendar year? Wait. Well, it started in 2022. Okay. <laughs> um, that offer... It really touched me and made me think about volunteering in kind of a different way. Um, what it means to volunteer, what it means to make a, a thoughtful and clear offer. You know, I don't want to own this, <laughs> uh, but I can be a bridge. It was a very beautiful so, and he has been a bridge and a lot of things have changed and it's actually a, been a joyful experience uh, doing some Zoom classes lately, being able to do more of uh, my evening classes. I was too scared to do them on Zoom, <laughs> but we just had a wonderful time uh, with this recent introduction of five precepts class. I just thought it was really fun kind of um, doing the Zoom together and including everybody in the circle, and it was quite uh, seamless and easy. <clears throat> and so I'm looking at things that way now. I mean, this center is largely volunteer run, and um, you know, volunteers burn out. They are really inspired, they work too hard. <laughs> Then they get tired <laughs> and then they back away slowly um, or not, or just keep plugging forward. <laughs> uh, and I really want to be, you know, cautious. Um, I'm not a volunteer coordinator. That isn't my job. I don't play one on television. I, I don't know much of anything about it. Uh, but, you know, as, as I'm looking and I'm working more with volunteers, um, I'm always trying to kind of investigate 
what works for the individual, what works for the group, what makes sense, how to hold and support volunteers in a way that um, is good for them, is good for us, is good for this. <clears throat> and, you know, to a degree, it's individual. Uh, I can't actually look in any direction without seeing some volunteers <laughs> here, which is amazing and a little scary. And I say scary because, you know, as a as a leader here um, and someone who relies heavily on volunteers, I <laughs> don't, ever <laughs> don't ever leave, don't ever leave, <laughs> don't ever leave, don't ever leave, don't ever leave. You can get a little clingy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a little crazy. <laughs> a little clingy to the crazy. Um, and so, you know, to combat that, um, my attitude toward volunteers started to be more like, um, are you sure? You know, oh, you want to help? Are you sure? <laughs> Just think about it. <laughs> Give it a minute. Wait. What can you, what do you actually want to do? What do we actually need? What do you actually have bandwidth for? Um, but that might be a little too pushy, you know? So there is, there is wisdom in trusting people in their offerings too. <clears throat> but this, you know, this kind of idea of um, that, you know, we can be a bridge without being an owner, or we can be an owner, you know, or we can be a one-time helper. You know, there are so many ways to get involved. <clears throat> um, and it's really beautiful to see everybody find their own way, trust themselves, trust the process, the process, <laughs> trust the group. You know, trust the Dharma. That's a big one. Trust the Dharma. <clears throat> you know, something. Um, pick on you. <laughs> yeah, I did it before. I think it's okay. But, you know, something Ryan said that really echoes my own sense of trusting the Dharma is this idea of um, being really open to learning, you know, sort of, uh, hey, let's give it a whirl. I learned that from Margaret. Give it a whirl. <laughs> See how it goes. I'm open to learning. I'll do this, but then I'm going to ask you how I did, and I expect you to tell me the truth. <laughs> well, that's actually a beautiful way to enter into a relationship, to enter into volunteering. But yeah, I will tell you the truth, and I expect you to tell me how it's going. <laughs> Let's have high expectations for communication uh, and for getting through things together. I realized that uh, as a close spiritual director, I'm the... Uh, I like the term, I think Stephanie uses it, the rising spiritual director. <laughs> I like that too, yeah, rising spiritual director. So we'll be making a transition later this year. <clears throat> and um, 
Now, if I wasn't committed to learning, to watching, to paying attention, to asking for feedback, um, I wouldn't be here. It would be a mess. <laughs> you would want me here. <laughs> I'm really interested in how it's going, you know, and whether I'm picking up the Dhamma from our resources and using it appropriately. <clears throat> I've been thinking lately, especially following on uh, Sakula's talk last week about, you know, taking advice, giving advice, ill will, irritation, all these things. And I've been really looking, you know, at my own life and when I'm coming from a place of irritation or ill will, I have kids. <laughs> that didn't I didn't mean for that to be <laughs> a sequitur. <laughs> but they don't deserve my irritation, right? It's natural to be it's natural to become irritated with kids. It's natural for kids to become irritated with parents. It's natural for us to become irritated with our spouses, beloveds, you know, friends even. Um, but what I've noticed more and more and more, and I remember this from being a child, is I don't think it's actually, I think it's actually quite difficult to learn from somebody who's irritated with you. Mm. <laughs> That was my experience. I had one parent whose anxiety manifested as irritation and one whose didn't. And uh, I had a really hard time learning from the parent who was irritated. Even the smallest things, I just, it was really hard for me to listen and hear it and follow instructions and want to reach out for learning, even though this parent had a lot of wonderful skills to teach. They just had, you know, a habit of irritation. And so then I'm noticing in my my parenting, you know, are there times when I'm correcting, you know, out of irritation or with irritation? Oh, well, I can see it just kind of break apart in the moment, actually, kind of heartbreaking. Um, so noticing when, because irritation, unfortunately, is ill will, you know, it's that there's the root, there is ill will, and people, especially people who love us, can see it on us, you know, <laughs> ill will comes with its own unique stink, <laughs> you really can't miss it, you know, and so when that starts to permeate, um, my conversations or my instructions, it really doesn't feel good. And it's really not effective either. <clears throat> and I'm, you know, as I grow into this community, into this position, I really have to watch my own intentions too and the way that I carry myself and even the look on my face. You know, it belies a lot. Uh, and I rarely feel irritated here. 
Um, this is my spiritual home. It's my spiritual community. I have a lot of good Kalyan Amita here, but there's still work to be done <laughs> and work <laughs> can be irritating. Yeah, but just watching that, you know, what does that mean? Am I a mean that I'm looking at the job, job, whatever the task, you know, through the lens of serving me, of serving myself, of serving my ego. I want it to be this way. Now, maybe it should be this way, <laughs> but why? You know, what's the bigger picture? And if I believe in the bigger picture, then I can be speaking and coming from that intention. They're not from a smaller, more constricted place. <clears throat> so it's, you know, it's been really, um, it's really smart, I think, intelligent to look at that. What's in the heart and what is real obvious <laughs> to other people. And we're learning. I mean, the interesting thing about a spiritual community is that some of us started yesterday and some of us started 30 years ago. And here we all are together <laughs> uh, on the path. You know, so there's always going to be bumps and confusion, even with leaders and volunteers and um, people just walking in the door for the first time or people who've walked through the door thousands of times. Uh, but keeping that in mind, you know, that... That's what's interesting about a spiritual community is that we're all in different places on the path. Mm -hmm. My friend and I were, Kali and Amita and I were talking about making mistakes. You know? And they were kind of mired in a mistake they had made recently and didn't know, couldn't see the way through, felt really guilty about it. I don't know the content of that mistake. I'm just going on what they were saying about their experience with it. And uh, and I, I told them that, you know, part of what this practice had given me was the ability to move through mistakes quicker with more ease. Um, and that's not to say to, to roll over what went wrong or to ignore it or to bypass it um, but that making a mistake I I feel with this practice I'm more able to quickly make amends turn the ship let it go stop haranguing myself <laughs> and move forward and not in a callous way but with mindfulness and she said um why? Okay, give me a minute. <laughs> Why? What's, you know, what's underneath it? And for me, I think what's underneath it, I mean, in addition to all the things, you know, all this practice, all these many years in community on the cushion, uh, <clears throat> but um, part of it is that I, I believe in my goodness, I have good intentions. I have good motivations. 
I'm motivated by loving kindness and compassion. Um, I'm motivated by friendliness. It sometimes all goes to heck anyway. <laughs> or my motivations are mixed, you know, where they come out mixed. <laughs> um, but at my heart, I think, no, I'm never trying to hurt other people. And knowing that I'm never trying to hurt other people, then I can more quickly recognize when I do accidentally or because my motivations were mixed or because I screwed up. <laughs> you can still bumble. You can still have a lack of mindfulness. Even if your motivations are good, you can still have a lack of mindfulness, make a mistake, whatever. Um, but I realized that with this kind of at my core, you know, following the precepts, wanting the best for others, uh, never wanting to hurt others, that I could forgive myself more quickly and make amends as, more quickly uh, than I used to be able to. <clears throat> so that was just a kind of a beautiful realization. Okay, that's what's what's under that. It's not a callousness. It's not a rushing through. It's a you know what? I'm a good person. <laughs> I believe in that. Feels good. I'm trying. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I had COVID, I think, for the first time. <laughs> first time for everything. And um, boy, I was miserable. <laughs> I feel like I had the ghost of COVID past and the ghost of COVID future and like, four different variants and every kind of symptom and a little bit of everything. I lost my sense of smell, which I guess was really common early, is less common now. Uh, my sense of taste diminished dramatically. I had all this uh, congestion in my ears, so I couldn't really hear that well either. <laughs> I couldn't eat, you know. I couldn't think. <laughs> I had a, just a brain fog. Um, and of course, I already couldn't see that well because <laughs> these things happen. My my favorite, my most beloved Christmas gift was a, one of those um, glasses chains. <laughs> I got a set for my daughter. She's like, look, now you don't have to look for your glasses. <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> Life is... Life is so much better now. <laughs> I mean, I was really having to trust people. <laughs> Somebody else made the food I was eating. I just kind of had to. <laughs> and then with COVID, I realized losing your sense. Did anyone lose their sense of smell? Have any, has anyone had that and lost their sense of smell? It's very disorienting. Like you realize that you need it to live, actually. You know, I couldn't smell anything if it was burning. I couldn't smell anything to cook. And I don't, I don't bake, but I cook uh, by smell, you know, not by recipe, but would this be good in that? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's how I cook, yeah. Uh, I, I don't look at expiration dates. I smell the thing. Is it rotten? <laughs> my nose will tell me. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to live in my house. <laughs> But I really, 
you know, I use a lot of sensory triggers. And, uh, you know, I started telling my husband about this and, and he goes, do you feel like you're disappearing? <laughs> like, well, I feel like you're disappearing. <laughs> I'm not sure. I can't smell. I can't hear. I can't taste. I can't see. <laughs> Who's disappearing? Is it me? Is it you? <laughs> was the world was disappearing, or the world as described by my senses was diminished in many ways, and and it was really interesting. You know, I felt really dependent on others. Ajahn Chah, you know, when uh, as I understand it, when a monk would leave to go to another monastery, Ajahn Chah's back there, and a monk uh, would leave to go to another monastery and they would grumble about it, you know, I don't want to leave my teacher, what am I going to do there? He'd say, well, you have five teachers, six teachers, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your taste, your consciousness, use those teachers. So we can, you know, we don't have to take refuge in the body as this functioning entity because it isn't, or it won't be, or it wasn't. <laughs> so one of the three. But we can take refuge in, you know, the Dhamma. So like, what's coming into my ears? What can I learn from that? Oh, I don't like that sound. You know, what upsets me? What delights me? What comes into the eyes? What upsets me? What delights me? What comes into the nose? What upsets me? What delights me? You know, and then starting to unpack those stories and watching how we just move toward things we like, move away from things we dislike. That's a Dhamma. That's looking through the lens of Dhamma. It's so important not to look through the lens of self, but to look through the lens of Dhamma. Last week, after all the snow and stuff, uh, Kalyan Amita kind of ran up to me uh, downstairs. It was so, so sweet. And they go, I've been in a hotel for five days <laughs> because they, their, uh, their electricity went out during snow week. I've been in a hotel for five days. And I realized that my home is not my true refuge. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> and they said that it came up for them because, you know, that they were going through this uh, topic in another Dhamma class, you know, so important. And I loved it. I'm still delighting over that, like, two-second conversation. You know, just that feeling of, like, seeing things as they really are, being really open to what's reality. Now, that house, it's going to fall down. <laughs> or this body, it's going to fall apart. <laughs> and so not moving from that place of well, what do I get out of this, but rather what do I bring to it? Okay, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Nicola, would you like to? Do you have any reflections you'd like to share? Yeah. That was a lovely Donna talk. Thank you very much.
Um, I wanted to share a little bit on the um, other side of what Jessica was talking about earlier, which I, uh, this, this uh, memory popped up uh, for me during her talk. And, um, and that, that is about, you know, um, in this case, when I was in the fourth grade, I was um, not a great student. <laughs> and uh, came from a very poor family. And we had, uh, in order to, we had 10 kids and I was the ninth one. And by the and we went to private school, so it was very expensive for my parents, but they wanted to send us. And we couldn't afford new shoes throughout the, for all of us throughout the year. And so as our shoes wore out, and so my shoes would wear out, my mom would stick cardboard from box top, the boxes of cereal in there. And uh, if it was raining, by the time I got to school, my feet would be soaking wet. So that's just a, one example of how poor we were in growing up. Um, and I was really aware that I struggled with um, grades. And in, the, in my first grade, uh, my teacher, I was not a, she was, I personally was not one of her favorite students. She was very frustrated with me. We, one of the instructions that my mom gave me was, you, you have to bring your, your um, paper sack, you know, brown paper sack that I carried my lunch and you have to bring it back. And we'd reuse that. I'd reuse the same paper sack over and over and over because we couldn't even afford, you know, to buy paper sacks. So I'd roll it up. We had uniforms and I had, we had a belt and I'd roll it up and I'd or fold it up flatly after lunch. I'd stick it in my belt so I wouldn't lose it because right after lunch, we would go out to the um, playground and doing this for months. And I come in from um, playing and my teacher points out, you know, that you're a disgrace. You, you, what are you doing with this? paper sack in your, in your, just, and she pulls it out and throws it away. <laughs> and I know I'm going to be in trouble when I get home, but I don't say anything. Um, and, and I go home and I just determine, I, I know my teacher doesn't like me. I know it's, I really get bad grades, especially in geography. I'm going to do my best to pull my grades up and then maybe she'll like me. Maybe, you know, maybe she'll be more comfortable around me. And so I, I worked really hard to, to, to study. We had, the teacher had a habit of calling on people that she'd name a couple of people after she passed all of the papers out. And she said, would so-and-so stand up and so-and-so stand up and so-and-so. And then she'd say, I just want everyone to see who's standing up. These are the people who got A's. You know, you so if you if you if you need help, go to these people. And I was determined I was going to one day get an A on my paper. You know, and she was gonna, and I would get to stand up. Well, that day came. You know, and I was like, oh my god! I so would would uh, everybody that didn't get their paper, would you please stand up? And so I stood up, and she she said, now everyone look. 
at the people that are standing up and I'm looking around, I'm the only one. And she said, those who are standing up got an F. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, it was, I still remember that. But the difference now is that I can look at that person who, I mean, that was devastating to me. But these days I can now look at this person because of the practice of Dhamma and recognize that they must have been hurting, she must have been hurting, you know, to do that to a child. You've got to, something else is going on. It wasn't me. I knew I was doing my best. I know now. I knew it then, but and then it told me I can't do better. You know, I'm stupid. And I carried that. Every once in a while, I still say it to myself, you know, and, but I know I'm not, just like you're saying. I know I'm good. I'm doing my best. And that is a huge refuge to be able to, you know, really own that we're doing our best. And when somebody challenges you on that, even if it hurts, you know, well, I'm doing my best. It's a, it's really quite um, secure. The Buddha himself, uh, Ananda once said to the Buddha, went to the Buddha and said, you know, when we're here in this village and there's all these people that are attacking you verbally, putting you down, saying that, you know, it isn't this way, it shouldn't be this way, you should be doing this. And he said, why don't we just move on to the next village? And the Buddha said, and when we go to the next village and people start putting us down, then what do we do? And he goes, well, we go to the next village. And if the same thing happens there, what do we do? You know, and then he got it. He goes, it's not, it, it, our refuge isn't in what people say or people do. It just shows their unskillfulness. You know, and we don't have to pick it up. That's hard to do, but this practice does help us do that, just as Jessica was saying. You know, so I just wanted to share the other side of that as well. It it works both ways. This is a wonderful practice. I'm very happy that I found it, and I'm very happy that I've met Jessica to be the next person to take over this responsibility because you will have people tell you <laughs> it shouldn't be done that way. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I shouldn't have told her yet. <laughs> I just, uh, I want to say just one quick other thing. Um, and I heard a wonderful talk by Adam Yanica recently where he called criticism, um, and this is from the Buddha, he, he talked about criticism as a precious gift. What was that? Criticism as a precious gift. Right? So it's hard to learn you know, from someone who's harboring ill will, but with training, we can learn from everything. So I just wanted to... Uh, kind of rounded out with that. You know, we're trained in this tradition to um, 
build our metta and build our goodwill, but we're also trained in resiliency and to not let, you know, anything else, like you were saying, that other people are bringing, uh, cut us off from learning. No, we can learn from anything. Uh, so it's really a beautiful practice. 